Welcome to Millenniellovision. This is the podcast where two millennials who were raised by television are just having a grand old time talking about what they're watching, past, present, future. I'm Claire. And I'm Brianna. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. I am anxious as hell. Uh, probably not going to sleep tonight. I... Oh, is this football related? <sighs> the 40... it's, been, it's been a couple of weeks. You know, as a diehard 49er fan, watching them, you know, have to have these crazy fourth quarter comebacks. But, uh, yeah, my team is in the Super Bowl, and tomorrow is the day, and it's a it's a revenge game. You know, we played the Chiefs in the 2019-2020 Super Bowl and ended up getting our asses handed to us. And so now our team's bigger, better, and brighter, and our quarterback is the cutest just little guy, Brock Purdy, and I'm nervous and anxious and probably going to cry either way. Oh, well, it is exciting. And as a person who is from San Francisco, I should be a giant 49ers fan, but honestly, I just don't know anything about football Mm -hmm. but I am proud of San Francisco I was there last week and it was really clear that everybody was full of pride everybody was in their Niners gear so that was fun to see and the Super Bowl is always a fun time it is stick with me kid I'll fill you in about all the Super Bowl (laughs) things all the football stuff and the only time that we're probably not going to be on the edge of our seats is when Usher is performing Oh, you're not going to be on the edge of your seat. Well, I will be just in a different way. (laughs) Just in a different way. I'm hoping. I'm going to be out of my seat and dancing. I'm hoping that he performs nice and slow with his shirt off and makes (laughs) all the pearl clutching mamas in America angry. (laughs) Usher is a really exciting uh, halftime performance because I feel like it's so all over the map. And especially if you look at years past, like. There's so many crazy years where, like, Disney characters were the halftime show or just, like, something just so random. But it just feels like it's a lot of pressure, and it's got to be an artist who is really established. And Usher, wow, what a great choice. What a a career. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's long overdue, I think, for him. You know, when you have the likes of Justin Timberlake and Maroon 5 and, you know, these same bands and artists over and over, it's like, uh, hello, there's Usher. Who's never performed the Super Bowl. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've been an Usher fan since, you know, 97 or 98 when I first heard Nice and Slow and I didn't know what it was about, but you know, I loved it anyways. And so yeah, I'm really excited to watch him. Yeah, that's cool. It's wild how long he's been famous for and how I feel like he looks the exact same. I was going to say he looks the exact same. <laughs> he know, really, man has not aged. Still be 1997. Yeah, yeah. Well, what have you been watching this week? Uh, my watch list has been kind of all over the place. I've been trying to put off watching Masters of the Air because I'm really excited about it. I'm a big Austin Butler fan. Uh, thought he just did an incredible job in the Elvis movie. And I don't want to get to a point with that show where I've watched three episodes or four episodes mm-hmm. and I'm sad that there isn't another one. I'm, I think yeah. I at least want to have some bingeable stuff. So 
this week's been a little weird in that I've finished some things and I've mm -hmm. started some things and have some thoughts on things that have been started. And I believe you and I, you know, we've, we've started a couple of the same things. But well, other than tell. that, it's... What have you finished? Well, I finished Griselda. Okay. Um, I think last week when we chatted, you had watched one episode and I think I was about I halfway like... through... I mean, if I'm being honest, I watched, like, maybe the first 20 minutes, and then I kind of forgot. But what I did watch was the Trixie and Kimchi recap on YouTube. They have – so Trixie and Katya have a recap show called Still Watching – or, no, we like, we like to Watch on YouTube, which is through Netflix. And basically, they just do a very quick edit of the whole series, and they're – it's like Mystery Science Theater. Like, they're commenting on it Got the it. whole time. Okay. And it is – hilarious so in that way i sort of finished griselda but i did not actually watch it i just saw their <laughs> highlights and their commentary so i understand the arc yeah so i think as far as like my overall thoughts i talked pretty in depth about this last week especially going off the you know ramp to cocaine cowboys and kind of like yeah this was great because i got to have the opportunity to like really understand what the true story was and almost have this compare and contrast but what that did for me was I got to the last episode and I was almost a little disappointed. Now, when you hit episode three of Griselda, it almost makes what feels like a 180. It's built off this woman being really compassionate and empathetic and kind of in a really down situation and trying to figure out how to make the most of it. And obviously cocaine's the through line, so she can only be so good. She, she doesn't really skip a beat in, you know, creating a market in Miami for cocaine. It's kind of who she is. But you see something happens in the third episode where she essentially takes part in personally killing somebody. And you see her take a 180 and she kind of rises to being almost this monster figure, you know, just boss, cartel boss type thing. I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Sofia Vergara just knocked it out of the park. You start to see this 180 change in her. She gets this haircut. Mm. I'm sure it's a wig, <laughs> but she gets this haircut. And there was something that signified in that haircut that like there was a badass bitch here. The bitch bob. Uh, uh, yeah, bitch, uh, the bitch bob. The bitch bob for the bitch boss. The HBIC. Yes, exactly. And I think Anybody watching Griselda would probably go like, that was great. I think it had a really good, it had closure. It was awesome. I think, you know, if you get through it and you finish it, you'll go like, oh, that was, that was really great. There was a thing that has been documented, not just in Cocaine Cowboys, but in some of the stuff that I've read about her, that when they finally arrested her, the feds, you know, they got this whole task force. When they finally arrested her, they burst through her front door and they go upstairs to her bedroom and she's just sitting in bed reading the Bible. <laughs> and she looks at them like, what are you doing here? Like a really, it's described as like a really calm, anticlimactic moment. And they just couldn't believe that they walked in and this woman was sitting in bed reading her Bible. Went peacefully, all of that. And I thought it was such a missed opportunity that the show didn't put that in there. Oh, that so that's a real detail that they didn't put in the that's show. A real that detail. is it almost feels like too much, like too dramatic. I don't know. I think it, it when you the one thing that people always have going through their minds is what's real and what's not in this scripted show. It's why mm -hmm. I watch Cocaine Cowboys. And you're right. I think it would have been too dramatic and maybe people would have questioned whether it was real or whether it really happened, but 
I would have loved to see that little detail in there. No, I think that's great. That's very cinematic and like the juxtaposition. But like you said, it's interesting that character you see her turn bad because ultimately I feel like there is a wall into how good you can be. (laughs) With cocaine. A wall, yeah, (laughs) that you're going to bump up against when you are in that line of work. Yeah, Griselda was like, I've been joking, and I think I said this last week, feminist icon, Griselda Blanco, you know. But I, I, it actually is the story, quite frankly, about the patriarchy. And mm-hmm. it starts out that way, and it ends that way, and it's really her against all of these men in the drug business, and her rise that is because of that. Yes, and in that that show I was watching, uh, the recap, they there was a like a female cop after her as well i think and that's mm-hmm. what a lot of the commentary was wow like the women aren't <laughs> aren't supporting women or something <laughs> like that which was Hello, it was very funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. and also the fact that i guess at one point griselda was offered like a hundred million dollars for her whole business but she said no and then immediately after she was like i'm just trying to take care of my family and then they were like you could have you literally just said no to this opportunity to be fair it was i want at least as it was in the show i don't remember what it was in real life it was like 15 million which to you and i is like Mm. well hell yeah pack it up let's go but to like somebody she's coming from the cocaine business she's just running away from this abusive husband so like she's used to being like she wants you know upwards of a billion dollars she was like sharks i appreciate your (laughs) offer but i'm going to have to decline (laughs) we'll have to renegotiate sharks yeah Yeah. so (laughs) but all in all great show i do hope sofia vergara um snags some some emmy nominations for that one well cool what a good watch so I know we both have watched the first few episodes of Feud, which is uh, Capote versus the Swans. Mm-hmm. What are you What are you thinking about this one? <laughs> you know, I think the best way I could describe this, I'm super curious of your thoughts. Um, the best way I feel like I can describe this, at least in my experience so far, is Ryan Murphy doing what I know Ryan Murphy to do so well. Mm-hmm. And that's create a show that is so fun and so good and so awesome in like the first episode or two Mm. and then quickly lose my interest and i like american horror story is a perfect example yes every season i'm not gonna watch that show i'm not getting dragged into this because i never finish it and if Mm. i do finish it it's really Mm -hmm. a slog it's happened to me too because yeah it's so exciting the first episode and then either like it's a little too scary or a little too something or this or that but then I kind of just stop watching all but... up it becomes uninteresting and then I say I'm not gonna watch the next season and then you get someone like Lady Gaga and I'm like okay fine I'll watch it and then I don't finish that's the same thing so I thought the first episode of Feud was excellent and I think part of it is because I didn't have any expectations I didn't really know what we were gonna get and so yeah, if I had to either. describe it with one word I would just say camp like oh yeah i don't know anything about truman capote if this is an accurate portrayal of him or not but i think it's i i thought it was a comedy the first episode oh (laughs) (laughs) a show called feud is a comedy like is this a comedy well i didn't know anything either but when i saw the posters for this i was like wow this is a really incredible cast of all these actresses we have not seen in a while and that was what was so 
compelling to me is because we have Calista Flockhart, we have Demi Moore, we have uh, Diane Lane, we oh, have Chloe um, Savini, who is just Chloe, yeah. oh, the best. Um, we who God Naomi Watts. Other, Naomi Watts. Yeah. yeah, it's like all these like wonderful actresses that I haven't seen in a while. So mm-hmm. it was so cool that they're all and together iconic, here. like top tier A list celebrities. Yeah, in this. Yeah, and so as soon as it started, it feels like I don't know how many episodes this is, and I, I take it it's kind of like a limited series or mini series because these are like um, anthology. It's an anthology series. So, uh, but immediately, so the idea is that Truman is uh, friends with all these socialites in the '60s and '70s, and then we find out he's written a book that sort of exposed some of their dirty laundry, and they're all upset with him. And I think it's told a little bit out of order, but again, this is like. I was a little confused by where we were on the timeline. And then by episode three, we've definitely gone back in time because it's in black and white. But I feel like you kind of get the vibe of what's going on within that first 10 minutes because he essentially comes in and swoops in and helps Naomi Watts' character. And then by episode three, they're really hammering in. He's like, that's what I do. I I fix things. I go run to their aid. And so I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's (laughs) that's where we are still. Yeah, I think at some point um, this week, I'm probably going to end up doing a deep dive on all of these women because what I expected to get out of the show, and maybe it's going to go there. I don't think it's, you know, I've watched two and a half episodes. I haven't finished the latest episode three just yet. Um, I was under the impression that this was going to be a story about really interesting women. And I'm not saying that it's not that so far. Uh, but I find myself more interested in Truman Capote and, okay, so I actually had to Google Truman Capote because I'm not familiar with him at all. All I know is that he wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's and I mean, I've seen Breakfast at Tiffany's so that I'm sure a lot of people know him. Uh, I had to actually, so I had to Google to try to find some sort of documentary to hear what he actually sounded like to see if Tom Hollander is actually doing an accurate portrayal of him. I do think it's played up a little bit. Um, But I will say, I think Tom Hollander is doing a good job. He's unrecognizable. Like, I was like, Tom Hollander. I was like, I know that name. Who is he? I'm like, oh. Quentin from White Lotus. Okay. And then I look at Truman Capote. I'm like, where is he in there? I, I think I see some sort of a resemblance. So yeah, he's he's an interesting character. I see why Ryan Murphy did a show involving Truman Capote. He's interesting. But yeah, I found myself in the third episode when it goes black and white. Getting uh, getting a little bored. It was, a little it was giving boring. um that episode of Blossom that's making fun of the Madonna documentary about <laughs> her tour. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like oh my it's gosh. like a behind the music situation. Oh, uh, I haven't seen Blossom in so long. No, what in was fact, the thing that, that they always said. <laughs> I don't even know why I pulled no, that oh, out, but they, I did no, rewatch. No, what was it? The the whoa. Oh yeah, Joey goes, whoa, Blossom <laughs> actually really holds up. It is so funny. It? I rewatched okay. it a few months ago. So uh, back to Capote. There is, of course, the movie Capote with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think he yes. may have won an award for I, it. I was going to say, I think he won an Oscar for that. Yeah, so, I mean, Capote's been in the zeitgeist. I feel like the, there's another movie or TV show or something that he was in as well. Plus, like you said, 
the things he made, like breakfast at Tiffany's. So he is a really interesting character. However, in this, he's really painted as a villain, uh, at least in the first few episodes. So it's really interesting to me to see uh, just the sort of social politics of why the women keep him around and then how easily they kind of pushed him out. And we'll see what happens. It's interesting also to see, like, which side of the group things fall on, right? Like, Diane Lane's character is very quick to just kind of, like, cut him out. Mm-hmm. Whereas Na- Naomi Watts, what's her name? Babe? Babe, Babe? yeah. Yeah. She's very, like, you can tell there's a deep connection and deep, almost, like, soulmate relationship there that she's not getting from her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see. I'll, I'm going to stick with it. Um but I feel the vibe of a regular Ryan Murphy show where I'm like, oh, okay, this was really good at first. Almost explosive. Not that he was explosive, but I was watching the first episode like, oh, this is funny. This is camp. I love this. And then felt like it kind of didn't stay on that same, you know, uh, the same track. It kind of goes back to like, it's interesting how they choose to make something a TV series versus a movie and how much time mm. we're spending on a certain story. Because I feel like, like, again, I don't know how many episodes this is, but it could be a movie if you kind of condensed some I agree. of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll probably end up being like a six-episoder. Um, I know he did the last one he did was Betty. Was it Betty Davis? Oh, yeah. Uh, Betty. And Joan Crawford. I think it was yeah. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. Um, yeah, well, and then also, like, I, I guess, though, to be fair, like, we want all these actresses to have screen time, so it's cool that it's a series. I was uh, <laughs> listening to a podcast, and that was the thing she said. She said, as women in the entertainment industry, as actresses, we pretty much only have two directions we can go, reality TV or Ryan Murphy show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <fair. laughs> I mean, yeah. it would be really fun to be on a Ryan Murphy show. Yeah. So, have you been watching True Detective? I have. Night Country. Night Country. I have. So, I (laughs) was kind of talked into watching True Detective from some friends. I was very, no, on it. it. Did you watch the original season? I tried to watch the first season, and I found it so boring that I stopped. And I never went back. Because I know so many people who say it's so amazing. I actually never tried to watch it, but I feel like I should go back to watch it because everybody loves it so much. So I'm curious though, but I did start watching this season because I know you can jump in because it's another yeah. anthology series. Yeah. But again, I, right away I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to do like solving a murder. <laughs> so give me your thoughts on on this season. I think I think this is good because neither of us have watched True Detective, so we're both kind of going in like not really knowing what to expect other than it's called True Detective, so you're assuming a mystery is going to yeah, be solved. Yeah, and I do know it's a different creator for this season, which may bring oh. a little bit of a new, uh, new flavor. Oh, I did not know that, but that's interesting. Yeah, so some friends talked me into it, basically said, if you didn't love all the other ones, you'll like this one. I promise it's really good. And they're right. I watched the first four episodes. I think it's really good so far. Mm-hmm. I think Jodie Foster is killing it. I love it. Jodie Foster. So I watched her also in Nyad recently, and she's just just so natural. I mean, obviously her career has been so amazing, and she's been doing yeah. this since she was a kid, but it just it's so clear. She's just so in her element, so she's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, she's, she's like – She's one of those people that, like, um, you don't get this from everyone, but she's one of those people, like, you kind of feel what their energy, like, if you were standing in person next to them, 
you can feel through your screen what their energy would be like if you were actually standing there with them. I don't think there's a whole lot of people that are like that. And I just, I feel like she is, I hate that they made her straight. Oh, they did? Uh, I didn't even they, catch that. Yeah, they made her straight. And <laughs> I don't a know. Weird choice. It's a weird choice because sometimes you do have to consider who is cast and how the like what the viewers know about this person that's where there's yeah. it's like a weird gray area where we're like we're casting people who are celebrities versus you know people who are maybe less known yeah I mean I don't even necessarily know that I think it comes down to a certain casting like I, I don't have any I have desire to see people like LGBT plus people cast in roles that are suitable like uh, for example I don't want to see a woman cast in or even a man that they dress up as a woman cast in the role of a trans character. Mm. I want to see a trans character cast into that role. I don't really have any desire to say like, oh, Jodie Foster in this role should be played by a straight person. I don't really have any desire for that. She's straight. She should be straight. I would have loved for them to not make jo like keep Jodie Foster and her character and all that the same, but it's. I would have loved for her to be gay. I think it's a, we're seeing more of that on our TV screens, and it's almost hard to almost hard to buy. Mm. <laughs> and she's kind does of it, and you'll you'll, does you'll it see this. Sorry, go ahead. Were you going to ask? Does it matter? Yeah, like does her relationship matter in this? So it kind of does in the sense that as you progress through it, you'll start to see that she kind of has a reputation for sleeping with the men in the town this really small tight-knit alaska town mm -hmm. and she's the chief of police and she's slept with you know the police chief over anchorage and she slept with a teacher who's married like she's kind it seems like she has a reputation for sleeping with people very flippantly um casually uh there's still more that we have to find out about her story that they're kind of starting to plant seeds on but yeah it's like i don't know it, she's doing a great job but uh, that was an interesting choice um but yeah it's good so far i, I was wondering if we were gonna like deal with an alien invasion kind of it, thing there is like a mystical <laughs> thing going on i thought it was sci-fi as you progress through it you kind of start to see a little bit more what direction it's going but there is still something spiritual or mystical or something happening there that i'm assuming we'll figure out but yeah it's been a fun ride so far cool well is it time to go to the castle to the castle to go to the hills of scotland to the lochs to the forest of Durach McDermott. <laughs> you say it like they did. Durach McDermott. So that means we are transitioning to The Traitors, episode seven. Exciting. Wow. First initial thoughts, initial reactions. Um, I didn't think it matched the intensity of the episode totally. last week where yes. I felt like I needed a Xanax, but strategy wise, I thought it was a lot of fun and I have tons of things that I'm really, really excited to talk about. It does feel like the producers are kind of like throwing a handful of like tacks at a car as it's coming toward them. They're like, no, 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 not so fast. Like we're going <laughs> to redirect this a little bit and add some little twists, but yeah, nothing like, like we got 10 episodes to get to. So we got to make sure we get there. Yeah. Cause like nothing to me that was like as jaw dropping happened so i guess we can just start 
we get into it. So last episode, uh, Phaedra and Parvati tried to recruit Peter as a traitor. Alan goes to the turret and tells them, no deal. Which, what do you think about this? I gotta tell you, I audibly gasped. It's just... Because, <sighs> first of all... <laughs> yes, we're t- disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed because... This is a game, and it's called The Traitor. But that's what I'm... Yes, exactly my thoughts. You are not there to make friends and worry about hurting people's feelings. You are there to play a game. And honestly, frankly, like, let's be real, make good fucking TV. Yeah. And you declining it, I I guess. In my notes, in capital letters and bold, I put Peter refused, question mark, exclamation point. Like, I couldn't... But, and I know we talked about what happens if he does refuse, but honestly, why would you, why would you refuse? Like, it's called the traitor, and no one in all of the countries has turned down a recruitment opportunity, so it was wild to me. So, right. So, he literally says, I, I want to win the right way, and I could not betray my team, but like you said, it's called the traitors. It's not called the faithful. Like, isn't that a fun way to play, like, than just hanging out, and because... It's clear in this point that he has not been on one of these competition-type shows before because he's been so loud and so vocal and all his strategies out there. Of course, to this point, he's been correct about who the traitors are and his strategy has been working. However, it's I think it's too over the top and he's now now you know they're trying to vote him out because they're like, this guy is making a too much noise. And even the faithfuls don't want him around, as we will see. Well, you start to see him you start to see him almost fill the void that um Dan was filling. Yeah. And with Dan being gone now, you got to have a cocky white dude, right? Just like an overzealous, egotistical like the boy band and, gang. And you see it with Peter's pals. Peter's pals. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it when Trishel, and we'll get there, I know, but you'll see it when Trishel kind of tries to bring it up to him and the way that he dismisses her because he has everything figured out yeah. and they should just play the game how he thinks the game should be played. And he thinks even more that he's entitled for them to play the game that he wants them to play because he turned down the recruitment. Yes. And he's essentially saying to them, whether he's directly or indirectly saying it, I was recruited, I turned it down, I did that for you guys, so now let's play how I want to play. So I was listening to an interview with Janelle, again, the Drop Your Buffs podcast, and it was interesting because she was saying she knew that Dan and Parvati were traitors, but she Mm -hmm. was trying to say, hey, Dan, give me another traitor so we can get them out because her strategy is – you don't need to just get all the traitors out at once. You need to get faithfuls out too. That's part of this game. And it seems to be that Peter's strategy is, no, we're just going to get the traitors out and I'll be faithful. But as we know, the puzzle pieces move and new traitors will pop up. So you can't really go with that strategy. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear you bring that up because once we get to it, um, Sandra does a really good job explaining this, you know, in her her pool table breakdown. Um but yeah, when we get to that, I'm, I'm excited to talk more about that. But yeah, I think, you know, Janelle's right on. There's going to be a final four. And in those four, you have to figure out how many of those people are faithfuls and how many of those people, four or five, I, can't remember, I think it's four, uh, how many of those people are faithfuls, how many are traitors. And if you know who the traitors are, 
that's who you take so yeah, you get the money. To your advantage. If you don't, I mean, yeah. Yeah, because you want less people of your same camp. So another interesting thing she said is that they were all under the impression that they started with three traders and then one was recruited, so they thought there were four running around. However, they started oh. with two, and then one was recruited. So there were three running around. Okay. So that was okay. interesting, too. So so um, in the turret, so funny, Phaedra is selling Parvati. She's like, it's going to be your last meal. <laughs> She's just, like, <laughs> laying into her for the mistake because Parvati thought that Peter was going to take the bait. He did not, which I think we are all disappointed by. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phaedra's faces coming into breakfast are so funny. They're just like, whoa, this is so wild. Oh, my the gosh. Way, she really did overplay it. There was one where she, like, furled her lip up and rolled her yes, eyes that's back around. Yes, that's the one I Exactly. She's like, like oh, crazy. Wow, this is so nuts. But she's – it's working for her because she it really is playing this like, I don't know what's going on. And she actually keeps doing that. So uh, so Alan walks in and we've got our ba-da-ba-ba-ba, Alan Fitchek. Alan Fitchek. I do believe that is the ba-da-ba-ba, I'm loving it, that I am taking that from. <laughs> but it's so natural. That's where – I know. Great. <laughs> McDonald's uh, in Scotland they go pretty hand-in-hand. Sure, yeah, uh, absolutely. So f- he's got like a forest green wool suit on paired with an olive hat. I don't know what this type of hat is called, but it's somewhere between like a beanie and a sailor hat. Yeah, it's got like a semi-pointed tip, but it does have a a flap that kind of folds up like a fe- – not a fedora. Exactly. Like a fe- fedora was folded up. I know. I was trying to see if there's a name for this kind of hat. I couldn't find it. It's probably some kind of European hat. Yes. Shout out to us if you know his special European hat. He's also wearing this really cool bow, but it's like made of ribbon and it has like multi layers and there's a little pearl adornment in the middle. Like a little brooch, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And then he's got a light pink collared shirt, an eagle pin on his pocket, and some shiny black shoes that look like they have a slight platform to them. Mm-hmm. Looking sharper than ever, Alan. Looking sharper than ever. So Peter pulls the quote Peter Pals aside and tells them that they attempted to recruit him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. At breakfast, we're skipping past something. At breakfast, everyone walks in. No one is murdered. Oh, right, yes, that part. And what we're trying to figure out, is Peter going to tell everybody that he was recruited? And I think this is interesting because, and I'm, I think I mentioned this last week, um, when they recruited someone last season, that person accepted, it was Ari from The Bachelor, one of the people that had been, a tra- I can't remember his name, I think it was Christian, one of the guys, he was a normie, one of the guys that was a traitor uh, and had been a traitor since day one, decided to go to everybody and say, hey guys, they tried to recruit me. But I declined because I'm such a faithful. Oh right, I think I remember you mentioning that. And so I thought it was interesting to see, like, is Peter going to mention it to everyone? And Parvati obviously thought the same thing. And the way that the way that they talked to each other at breakfast, as they both know that they're both the only two in on what's going on, was so funny to me. Like. Yeah, Peter, maybe you're a traitor. Oh, yeah, Peter. Oh, yeah, Poverty. I guess we'll find it's like they're the only two people at the table that fully know what they're talking about. And I thought it was just so like Poverty saying, 
I'm wearing my predatory headband. Oh, I yes. Just was... Because it has, like, leopard print on it. <laughs> well, then technically doesn't... Uh, technically doesn't Phaedra also know, but she's just sort of keeping herself out of it. Exactly. Phaedra knows, but, like, she wasn't involved in, like, the communication between the two of them. Like, the way that they were kind of going at each other's throat while everyone's watching them kind of not really in on what's going on was just, it was really funny. It felt like, as a viewer, almost like I was there at the table just watching this thing go down. It it does feel like they're getting more and more obvious, especially Parvati, because she, like she says, she's backed into a corner. Everybody knows, but we'll see how things progress. Um, so, yeah, so Peter pulls the Peter pals aside to tell them. He's like, guys, who do you think got recruited? And then Bergie's like, you? And he's like, yeah, but I didn't take it. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. Oh, right. Yeah, like... These people are not your friends forever. Like, friends for now, maybe, but why are you trying to stick up for them? So anyway, he tells them that, and they're all like, wow, amazing. And it's funny because Peter's like, we're all together in this together until the end. But it looks like the rest of them are like, well, I mean, are we? Because <laughs> uh, something's got to give at some point. I'm sorry if Bergie or Trishel were were recruited. Like, I guarantee you Trishel would have taken it, and she would have been a better recruit. Yeah. But Peter wants to be seen as the good guy. And Trishel, yeah. so Trishel, this is when Trishel says to him, hey, you know, he says, well, tonight we got to get out Parvati. He's like stuck on get out Parvati. Yeah. And Trishel says to him, hey, I think we should get Phaedra out. Yeah. Phaedra has everyone in this game. She has allies. No one's expecting yes. it. Yes. The only people that have put it together are the people in this room because of what Dan said. I think we get Phaedra out because we know Parvati's a traitor. We know it. And that's and the Janelle strategy. That's like, look, you got to play the long game. You can't just like take the easy ones now. You got to hold on to the easy ones for later. But Peter is very dismissive. In fact, I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think he physically waves her off with his Ugh. hand Ugh. and it was just it was really it was really great you know not great to watch in the other room well before we get to the other room first uh phaedra tries to walk in oh, yeah. <laughs> and phaedra knows what she's doing she's trying to walk in and peter you know push, pushes her out and, and the way they keep doing it is so annoying. Oh, can you please just uh, just give us one just minute? Just a minute. Just a minute. Just a minute. Just a minute. And they're all doing it. So annoying. Bergie's like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Well, that's what he says next. Because... The whole point of an alliance, and we'll get to this in a second. The whole point of an alliance is really to try to keep it a little more secret because otherwise <laughs> yes, you just full on like, have targets on your back. Alliance meeting in the billiard room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then Phaedra goes back to, we're now, I guess, going to call them the leftovers because that's what Sandra named them. So Phaedra goes back to the leftovers and, oh, they just kicked me out of there, blah, blah, blah. And MJ's like, well, let me try. So MJ goes in there wearing just an iconic <laughs> outfit yes i saw speculation on twitter that somebody was like she didn't expect to still be there so that's why she's wearing this she's run out of nice yes. outfits to wear they're like cargo jeans with baggy, like a baggy, baggy cargo jeans. jeans with like a sheer sort of like um I think it's like a long sleeve top but like, like yeah long sleeve like, like abstract wings over 
<laughs> over very her like boobs. early two thousands <laughs> looking, and this yeah, and the, the way yeah. So go ahead. She goes in the room, and what happens? She, she walks in, and she's trying to do the same thing. Hey guys, like, what are you talking about? Can I join? And they do the same thing. You know, oh, can, can give us one minute. Can you give us one minute. And yeah, that's she, when Bergie's like, you're gonna love what we're, gonna we're up love, to. And it's like, ew, it. you don't tell me what I'm gonna love, and also yeah. let me be a part of it. And MJ rightfully so says well i don't want something to happen that i'm not involved in like kind of trying to play like we're if we're all faithful then like why can't i be yes here? yeah and i think that was smart but then she turns around and i thought that was so funny this is like the bravo in mj she turns around and she leaves but she leaves the door open just well, wait a like, second she doesn't just turn around and leave she grabs her pants like hikes <laughs> them up and backs, like backs up, up very gingerly <laughs> She, like, takes, like, four steps backwards. <laughs> she just, like, slowly backs out. It was really funny. I thought it was hilarious that she left the door open. She was like, fine, I'll leave. And, like, left the door open. And, and Peter caught it and, and went to close it. But I, that was, like, the petty in her, and I just loved it. Well, I mean, they, I mean, they're being petty, too. Like, they're being little kids, which is so little kid of them. Like, close the door, close the door. Close the door. Close the door. They can't hear us. Yeah, they must be standing right outside. outside. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So she gets kicked out. And then now we go to the billiard room with Sandra and her billiard balls. Yeah. So we go to Sandra in the billiard room. And I want to take this time to just have you listen to, it's about a little over a minute long, um, have you listen to what Sandra says as she's in the billiards room and before we play that i want to just describe what we're looking at since you're going to hear it and not see it you're going to see the leftovers so we've got ct sheree kate parvati sandra mj and phaedra all standing around a pool table and sandra starts taking all of the pool balls in different colors and grouping them together where she says Peter is the boss, protected by Trishel and Bergie, right? I really like where this, this is, is going. This is going to be John, mm -hmm. and this has to be Kevin. This is us, right? Okay. Here's my theory. Okay. If the traitor's here, we're screwed, right? Because then they'll decide who gets murdered, right? Mm -hmm. What happens is if they murder and banish two people from this group, we're five, we're five against five. Now there's five. only five against five. Mm-hmm. So let's say these five vote one of us out, and now we're outnumbered because we only have four. Yeah, so we can't let that happen. So what has to happen today without failure for us to get one step further one is that one of these has to be banished. I agree. <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever experienced. This is why my knowledge of Survivor helps me because I'm able to show everyone how the numbers look, how they can be dissected, how I figured it out, and I'm hoping that they're able to see exactly what I'm showing them. The leftovers have to prevail, and that's what we are the leftovers because we're not part of the most faithful of the faithful all right so now that you've heard what she said and you have some sort of visualization i want to read something that sandra put on instagram oh okay yeah i think i saw this about this scene and it actually aligns with what you heard janelle talk about and this is one thing this is what i love about this game and i love that this is only season two of this game and I think what we're seeing right now is Sandra break it wide open in what future players of this game are going to be looking to do. This felt like such a Survivor thing. Like, I haven't watched a ton of Survivor, but it just felt like 
it just, I don't know what about it. Like, just the illustration of, like, here, I'm taking these pieces. And the, it was castle-specific, like, with mm-hmm. billiard balls. Like, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like she might as well be taking rocks in the sand and, like, putting them and, like, exactly. showing your lunches And that this way. is – if you notice, I've only watched one season of Survivor that Sandra was on. And I'll tell you, she's cutthroat. She is something that, like, when, when they see her walk in, they know exactly what they're in for and – the season that I watched with her on it, they knew she she's this presence where it's a little different than Janelle. I think I mentioned this in like the first week that we did this, that Janelle knows when she walks in, they're going to target her and they're going to get her out very quickly. She sows chaos and they just basically say she's got to go. Sandra's one of those people that they know they have to get out, but they have to get her out at a strategic point in time. And if they miss that strategic point in time, then she basically wins because she is so good at doing this. She's so good at the social game. She's so good at the strategy that you want her on your side in order to, you know, get the numbers. And if you don't cut her at a certain time, you're screwed and she wins. And they talk about that very openly on Survivor. And it's because of this. There's two things that I want to read. One is, a, you know, what she said on Instagram, explaining this a little bit more. And another is a, a tweet thread that I came across that, um, I think is going to put some of this into, you know, a little bit more perspective. So the first thing Sandra says, I want to make something clear during that strategy session. I also made it clear that hopefully the traders were in our group so they can murder each and every one of the so-called most faithful of the faithful, therefore allowing the faithful and the leftovers to get to the end of the game, self-preservation and end game strategy. What a lot of people don't seem to understand is the faithful also have to go just like the traitors. We all can't get to the end. No one there is oblivious to the fact that Parvati and Phaedra have already been called out several times. That's actually manageable. If new traders enter the mix, then we have to start back from yes, zero. Yes, yes, yes. And that goes back to the thing where it's like you got to like, keep the people you know are traders. Just keep them close, but don't get rid of them yet. And, and what she did with that pool table strategy, and she, there was some stuff she said out loud and some stuff she did. Sandra knows that there's, what do we say? One, two, three, four. There's seven people in the room with, like her and six other people, seven people in that room. There's five people in the room next to her. So Sandra already knows she has the numbers. And that's where P- Peter went wrong. Was it the right move in some aspects to kick someone like MJ out? Sure. MJ is the one that went back and told Dan last week, oh, you know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna kick you two weeks ago. They're going to kick you out. They're coming for you. Like, there's only so many people you can trust, and I get that. But Peter is not thinking about the numbers. Mm-hmm. Sandra's thinking about the numbers. So she's yeah. going, okay, I got seven people in this room, and I know two of them are traitors. So I know that I can say out loud, hey, we're just going to create this little alliance here called the Leftovers, and we're going to play against them. And what Parvati and Phaedra are hopefully going to do is go up in the turret and essentially say, well, we don't want to get rid of any of the Leftovers because we mm-hmm. have the numbers. We want mm-hmm. to get rid of someone else on the yep. other side. Yeah. So I came across this tweet that I thought was really interesting that kind of lays it out on where the game is and, and how this person thinks the game is going. I thought it was really great. So this is from at Billy Geese. He says, Sandra's pool table scene on the latest episode of The Traders is essentially what I'm predicting the show could turn into for the foreseeable future. I'm glad she's the first one to really clock it and get a moment to highlight the true game beneath the game. 
The Traitors is currently a show about a chaotic game of Mafia featuring people who really don't know how to play Mafia, bless their hearts, <laughs> but Mafia is a game that can end at any time when the bad guys get caught, and conversely, the right. show can't afford to end at any time. Exactly. To combat this, the Traitors has a recruitment mechanic in place to guarantee there's always a traitor in the castle. Mafia doesn't have that or need it because Mafia can end whenever, but it's the recruitment thing that changes the game entirely and might need some tweaking. Because Faithful cannot win the game in packs larger than four, as the end game Fire Pit starts at four, the ideal scenario for Faithful is to have a group that guarantees you reach that point where you can at least end the game and hopefully win where you can reach the Fire Pit. Knowing who the traders are definitely helps, but as Faithful, the main goal is to survive deep enough to be able to end the game and win, not banish traders. If anything, mm -hmm. it's best to preserve the OG traders as long as possible to prevent recruitment. Sandra demonstrated what should likely be the optimal strategy to win for both Faithful and Traders. Form an alliance, hopefully with a mix of Faithful slash Traders, and use those numbers to vote out everyone else and reach the endgame. Peter served his group up on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Phaedra and Parvati are clocked and likely not winning at this point. But in an ideal setting, the alliance begins earlier in the game and operates as any survivor slash Big Brother alliance would. Remain secret and focuses on preserving the longevity of each member. It's basically what the Taggy 4 Alliance did back in the first season of Survivor in the summer of 2000, even featuring a traitor in Kelly Wigglesworth who tried to flip on them. This basic strategy of alliances drastically mitigates the chaos for those involved and dramatically increases their odds of reaching the end and getting more screen time. It's not a perfect strategy given the traitors can't reveal themselves and the alliance may not have any. But after a few days, if you wrangle seven or so players, you're likely going to net a traitor. And for them, an alliance also means safety to the end as well. You might not net a traitor given it's someone random. That's why I say wait a few days, feel it out, trust your gut. The alternative to this is sloppy chaos. It's fun TV. If you can guarantee you have the votes to survive each banishment and you have a traitor or two in the turret to protect your group from murder each night, you're golden. You're much better off. Your alliance gets to the final seven or so, recruitment is off the table, and then you go at it. Everyone's odds of winning have dramatically increased from the jump while avoiding the randomness of the randtable and the nightly murder slash recruitment. Conversely, if the show dumped the recruitment mechanic and allowed the game to end at any point, mm -hmm. this strategy doesn't need to exist because the focus goes to catching the traitors, yeah. not surviving to the end, because then the end is banishing all traitors. If more than four faithful can win, you don't need to focus on reaching the final four as faithful. Recruitment makes it primarily a numbers game, a survival game, not an us versus them game, which is at odds with the marketing and Alan chastising the faithful for banishing other faithful. Sandra is great at these games and has already begun to expose how effective, uh, how effective a version of the strategy can be, and she has seven with two traders. Now imagine this is a show every episode of every season. Wait, this is just Survivor in a Castle. Oh God, we've come full circle. <laughs> So I, th I wanted to read that because I thought it was an interesting just like layout of what Sandra is doing and why it's yeah. important to really think about more. This is a self-preservation, get to the end game, not a banish all traitors game. This, so that's exactly right. It's like Peter is playing like it's mafia, like as if mm -hmm. we're going to get the traitors and then we're done. But mm -hmm. that's not this game. This game will keep changing because we need to get to the last episode that is planned. Yes. Uh, and so it is interesting also because until this point, it doesn't seem like the traders have had much of a strat strategy and they haven't really needed one because everything's just been so kind of wild. Yeah, I think you can thank Dan for that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and with Dan doing what he did on the way out, it has 
put them in a position to have to survive and they do not have the upper hand. Well, and it kind of makes me wonder too, like what does the game look like if it's less about let's get the traders out and more about let's get to the end? Then what do you, what does it look like when you're playing day to day and still trying to figure out who the traders are? You know, like how do they reveal themselves? What is, do you, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it does seem to push things around if that's not your main goal. I do think, I think one thing that was interesting that he called out is it's in direct conflict with kind of the marketing and, and the way that Alan carries himself. It, but this is the risk that you take when you put gamers on here. The gamers, especially someone like Sandra, is going to figure out how to get to the end and win. It's how Sari did it last season. Sari didn't have some big strategy into what she was doing. Sari just laid low and, and was herself. It's a little different this season because there's a bunch of gamers in there. And on the flip side, the gamers are also thinking so far outside the realm of what's actually even happening to begin with. All these gamers seem to think that the Bravo people are all allied up and coupled up and they're all going to vote the same and they've got the numbers, yada, yada, yada. And the reality is the Bravo people are not going in there with any pre-thought out strategy. They make good TV in other ways and they're just not like... We saw Sheree vote for John just because. Like, they're not really thinking of this as a numbers game. That's why this game is so fun and chaotic is because they all have a different background and they all bring different things. Even, like, Pete. Like, he was on The Bachelor, so he doesn't know how to play these strategy games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why he's not thinking in that way. It does make me wonder, which I think might be what you're saying or getting at, it makes me wonder how how are they going to have to evolve the presentation of this game both in from a marketing perspective and from a game perspective when they're explaining it when people start to realize that it is more of a longevity game versus get the traders out yes however in that interview with janelle again like it is a longevity longevity game but it does move very quickly and that's why she was saying it was probably harder for dan is because you have two eliminations every episode you're always doing something every day you don't have time to just sit around and stew in your thoughts you got to just act yeah yeah definitely a little different than big brother in that way for sure big brother there's one elimination a week so there's a lot of stuff that happens in between that of course but there's one eviction a week so yeah definitely well, the leftovers have to prevail. They and will. Next, they will. we go to the Derek McDormand Woods challenge. <laughs> uh, and this time, Alan is wearing the same fit, but he's added a little like netting. Like we've got like a cream, like fishing net added to over his jacket, which is a fun little accessory. He's bringing player. outdoorsy vibes. He yeah. said, Look at me in my fishnet for this outdoorsy thing. Yeah, you guys he might are have to do. catch dinner for them later. Um, <laughs> So they pair up and they all are assigned a different amount of money to carry through the forest. They're taken through these little challenges that are really just like a choose this path or choose that path. Um, Again, I'm so bad with the challenges. I watched it, but I was like, all right, let's get to the end. It's essentially they pair up and if that pair makes it to the end with the quote unquote pile of cash, their bag of cash they're carrying, then that gets added to the pot and it's up to $25,000. So they all pair off and as they go through the woods, there's I think four, four, yeah, because there's four of them. There's four sets of questions that they're asked and 
the correct answer leads them on one path, the incorrect answer leads them on the incorrect path, and if you go down the wrong path, a trap <laughs> is set up for you. It was pretty hilarious. It's literally a trap from, like, a summer camp movie. It's <laughs> like, like a wily mm. Coyote type thing. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> a net is covered in leaves, and you walk over the net, and it immediately, like, releases, and you are, like, suspended from the tree. I thought this was so funny for just a I for a number of reasons it was so yeah so he also tells us there's two shields and the first pair of people that make it all the way to the end and the fastest will win this shield so we go through this and we get to the first question and Peter and uh Trishel were paired up and I've been watching tv long enough a reality TV long enough to know this trend that happens, which is if you see somebody so cocky or so sure something is going to happen, that's probably the opposite of what's going to happen. So Peter and Trishel are in their confessional talking about how great it is that they're paired up together and that they're going to kill it. They're obviously the best. They're obviously the strongest. And Peter is the first eliminated. <laughs> he answered the first question wrong. And they get to, uh, they have to pick up these scrolls to see if they're correct. And so they get to the first scroll and they have to decide who's going to go in there. It's not going to be both of us. It's going to be just one of us. So who's going to go in there and look at the scroll? Peter says, I'll take it. And he immediately gets dumped in like a oh, like deep mud. vat of yeah. mud. It was pretty gross looking. So it had to be really cold too. Yeah. So Trishel's off on her own. And this is really good for the game because this means Peter can't get a shield. So we're loving this already. Our mm -hmm. pairs were um Sheree and Kevin, Trishel and Peter. Phaedra and CT. Phaedra and CT. <laughs> of course, which we love them. <laughs> I have the note that I put on here just says, the way Phaedra looked at Castle Daddy to be her partner with a little heart. <laughs> she just looked at him and he went, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the, the, the unlikely but great duo was Parvati and John, um, which was really, really smart for Parvati to do. She's paired up with somebody in Peter's Pals. And so I thought that was really great. Um, just some things that I want to call out. Um, Kate, first of all, watching Kate be resentful, like verbally resentful, that she quote, she, she <laughs> went, who was Kate paired with? Kate was paired with. Sheree? No, Sheree was with Kevin. Why am I blanking on who Kate was paired with? MJ? Yes, yes. So Kate is matched with MJ, and MJ is the first one to get into a trap. And Kate says, and I quote, she's chilling in a leaf hammock, and I'm out here getting ticks. She was so mad <laughs> that she wasn't the one that got swooped up, just chilling in a hammock, and she had to go at it by herself. It was hilarious. Uh, Sheree, you know, once Kevin went up in his trap, Sheree turns around and she runs up the hill and she just goes, shit, oh, hell nah, and just like keeps running. And it was just the commentary on some of this stuff was so funny. And finally, when Sheree gets wrapped up in the net, you just see her like it was a horror movie going, help. <laughs> I mean, it. 
that has to be terrifying. It comes out of nowhere. You have no idea it's going to happen. And they are suspended high. high. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was just so funny. I loved it. Uh, so the, the two teams that get to the end are um, Sandra and Kevin. Sandra and Kevin. And... Uh, Sandra and Kevin, John and Parvati are the two that get to the end. And I got to tell you, this is where you see, this is where you, you go, how has Sandra won Survivor so many times when she's literally holding on to Kevin's arm and Steve going, help me, and he's dragging her along? <laughs> like, she's just not an outdoorsy person, and it's so funny to watch. But you see those those two teams get to the end. She's the outwit part She's ex- outwit, exactly. outlast, outplay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, Sandra and Kevin win the shield. And I've got to say, I thought Sandra's reaction to winning the shield was so cute. I mean, she probably didn't even need it, but it was so cute. She was so excited. Like, it was just awesome. And Kate, by the time she was in that trap, was happy to just be chilling in a hammock. It was was pretty funny. So they make their way back to the castle and Peter pulls Parvati and Phaedra into the armory, which is like this cool, like it's sort of like a bookshelf. Like you pull the, the book. Oh, and yes. The whole thing yeah, turns yeah, yeah. Like around. a secret area. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're in Clue or something. And so he obviously knows what he's doing yeah. by pulling those two in there. Um, he's like, oh, I just want to, like, work with you. And Amelia Parvati's like, what are you talking about? Why do you want to work with me? But Phaedra gets Phaedra's like, the fuck bye. out of there. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I don't like being involved in it. She even says, like, <laughs> all she's of like, this. collusion <laughs> or something. She, like, she, like, in- <laughs> intentionally doesn't even say, like, alliance. Yeah. She, like, chooses she's like, a different word. I don't like word. this collusion. I, yeah, it, yeah. It was so, when she was walking out, I was like, Phaedra, like, the whole point of these shows is collusion. But she really was smart because what she was doing was going, Peter drug me and Parvati in here for a reason, and I'm not going to allow him to set a trap on me. Exactly. She's like, he likes traps, and it's so smart because she even says, she's like, "Uh, Parvati and I don't spend time talking to to each other, so this is very suspicious. Yeah, yeah. So she gets out of there. And Peter then says this, like you mentioned, uh, well, we could always work together. And I'm sitting here thinking – what case are you making that these these two people know, especially Parvati? We don't really know how much Phaedra is in tune with what they know about her. We haven't been able, mm-hmm. like, we've seen it happen in confessionals and in Peter Powell's talks, but we don't know what Phaedra knows, if anything. So I thought it was smart of her to leave. But ultimately, Peter is very confident that Parvati is a traitor, and therefore he knows that she tried to recruit him. So when you're sitting there and you're looking at her going, well, we could always work together. Like, well, what is they it? could have worked together as traitors, but he said no. That's what I was thinking of, like, was he trying to get her to, like, accidentally stumble into saying that? Because Parvati is Parvati and is way smarter than that. Like, I just didn't see the... Like, what he was well, getting again, out of saying he's that. He's playing the short game again. Like, he's trying to be like, oh, got you, you're a traitor. But it kind of doesn't even matter in this game, necessarily, even if everyone knows someone is a traitor. Because, again, it's the long game. Yeah, I guess I'm just like, like, what was, what was, what was he hoping to get out of that? I don't know. Because anything he would get out of that would be ultimately betraying his faithfuls, right? Because if he's working with a traitor. I think 
he is so short-sighted. I truly think that what he was trying to do was trip Parvati up. I think he was trying to say, well, we could always work together. And he was trying to get Parvati to essentially say, well, we just tried that to like admit. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, that's the only reasoning I can think for him. Exactly. To do. Like, other, or it's like, otherwise, what's in that? Work together in what way? You're going to let me into your Peter pals now? Like, yeah, how? I just, I didn't, it didn't, it doesn't, it didn't make sense Look, to me. He doesn't, he's just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's That's sticks. true. So now Alan calls them to the woods. He says he's in a fabulous trench coat, which has a monogrammed AC in red. And he says, we're all going to the woods. And there is a new song instead of the one that's like, lead me to the valley. Da, da, da. This is a new one. And the lyrics are, I am running. The end is coming. Who will save me and who is about to betray me? Ooh, dun, dun, wow. dun, dun, dun. There will be no round table or banishment tonight. So we have this thing where we're in a circle. <gasps> I'm scared. <gasps> Who could this be? But like, I don't know, because what happens instead is kind of, it doesn't feel like as dramatic as it could be, but the way it is played becomes dramatic. So anyway, so what happens is that the two who won the shields from the challenge get to choose the first person they're going to protect. And they all have torches, and they light the torch. And if your torch gets lit, that means you're protected tonight. And so then from there, one by one, we light each other's torches. So I think what this this uh, activity served to do was sow seeds of doubt and also kind of – it's the social thing. And this is what we see with Trishel where she gets really upset that CT doesn't light her torch. Yeah. Because she's like, I thought we were closer than that. So I think that's why we did this. Yeah. So there's a lot of conversation and speculation about this online that, like, quote, unquote, the producers were trying to fuck with the game. And the reality is, like, if I step back and I ask myself, why did they do this? I think it serves two purposes. One – they have a slated number of episodes, and that's just the reality of it. And two, I don't think we should expect to see the exact same game every single season because otherwise it becomes very not. easy to manipulate, and it's also not yeah. fun to watch. Three, I think to your point, this is where we start to see some of the social shifts and almost, um, for lack of a better word, uh, and I... I don't want to say this having it think that it's like devoid of feeling but almost this entitlement of what people think they're owed by somebody in a game yes. where they haven't been very yes. clearly and specifically talking about alliances aside from just faithful yeah. and traitors well and again this is why it's interesting that they have a lot of them have history with each other outside of this yep. game in different ways because like phaedra says like sheree lights her torch and she's so touched by it because of the history they share whereas not everybody has history like that. And so I think that's another element, like another layer of this game that's so interesting and so cool that they are all reality um, personalities because of that. Yeah, so a couple things I want to point out on this. I thought it was interesting. Sandra and Kevin were the first to choose who they were going to save. And Sandra's immediately trying to figure out how do I save somebody that's in my alliance but not tell Kevin that I'm doing that because mm. Kevin's a Peter's pal. When they land on Sheree, Sandra's like, great. And Kevin loves Sheree. They've been partners and everything. And he probably feels like he has an ally in her, so they light Sheree. And Sheree seems obviously surprised by it. Sheree then lights Phaedra's torch. 
I thought this one was really interesting because what we haven't seen a lot of is the Sheree and Phaedra relationship that is very deep and has gone on for 20 years. I've watched it on my TV for a long time. And so I thought it was, it, it did make me wonder, is Sheree really so, so outside of this game that she really is going, well, Phaedra can't be a traitor because I know Phaedra really well and she's just not Probably. a traitor. Or it like I'm it just was interesting to me. I loved that Phaedra cried. Phaedra's not a crier. Phaedra's not the person that turns to her sad emotion or her emotional emotion before she turns into like cold hard bitch emotion. So I thought that was really nice to see. Um Phaedra, of course, saved, you know, CT. So we're still in a place where we've got alliance like they're saving their people and they're putting all of mm. peter pals on the chopping block well it was interesting because parvati seemed like confident that phaedra was going to save her when they have never once interacted outside of this the was turret wild to me i'll give parvati her flowers for being so smart like i think for people knowing she's a traitor she's survived a long time why would she think Phaedra's going to light her, her no. torch? No, Parvati is playing so smart. She's not getting involved in anybody else's business, including, or sorry, Phaedra's so smart. She's not getting involved in anybody's business, including, including Parvati. Parvati's. In like, imagine Phaedra lighting Parvati's torch. Just That would be so suspicious. So, like, it would be so clear. Because right now they think they know about Phaedra, but they're not totally sure. And that's not even no. all of it. I thought that was, like, totally out of the uh, no i thought that was crazy parvati's just struggling she's struggling and she's torn between like doing what trishel's doing which is looking like a needy neater saying oh please you know how hard this has oh been my for God, me trishel. and just not saying anything at all i think parvati probably yeah. made the right choice in not saying anything at all because trishel she looked parched as hell out there also i mean it makes sense though that they wouldn't choose parvati because everyone's onto her so she knows that too so she's like all right fine let's just whatever and because this is a game to protect people from being murdered and so parvati doesn't have to worry about that yes exactly um which is an interesting you know one thing to call out parvati is gonna play for a shield she's got a chance to get a shield on the next episode and so she may not even go home the next episode you know it's like this this kind of shook everything up we see ct then like john's which now now we've pushed into peter pals so this oh, is where God, it's like john he went with the faithfuls versus traitors type alliance versus yeah. leftovers versus peter pals and we still kind of don't really know where ct falls on that because we did see ct pull peter aside earlier in the episode and be like hey dude they're they're on to you they're That's true. CT's game's been interesting. He's been keeping such a low profile, yet also is paying attention. Yep. And yeah. Involved in everyone and everything. Yeah. So John saves Peter. We kind of knew that was going to happen Stupid, once it went but to we're John. annoyed. Yeah. But again, like that, I guess, is interesting in a way because that way Peter cannot be eliminated this week, which felt like it was inevitable. Yeah. So then the question is, you know, we go into the turret afterwards and, um, First off, we start with Phaedra doing an impression of <laughs> Parvati to Parvati. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you have to be more lovable. She said, soften, she's like, soften, soften your, your heart. heart. She did, so but I love how Parvati's like, 
part of it he's like wait what really i do but which felt a little over the top because she has to know but she was like there she's like nobody, this felt nobody like a really real... likes you parvati yeah but it felt like a real moment when parvati's like but when i go into a room everybody stops talking and they like go move away and from me just like yeah duh. <laughs> i'm trying to tell you <laughs> Oh my gosh, so funny. And we got all these really dramatic shots of like Bergy sleeping with cozy bear. with his teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, so I guess t- to kind of round this out, uh we don't know who they're going to murder, but who do you who do you think they might murder? Okay, so wait, we they can murder Trishel, Bergy, Trishel, Bergy, Parvati, Oh, MJ? MJ and Kate. Yeah, MJ was really hurt, MJ and too. Kate, yeah. Okay, so I think they won't murder Kate because they talked about how she could be useful later if they can recruit another traitor. MJ does, yeah, doesn't really seem, like, advantageous. Probably, I mean, maybe Trishel? Yeah, I think this could be production games. This happens all the time. But some of the stuff they said at the, like, they make the decision on who to murder. And they make some this could be bad for my game type references or like comments in their confessionals when talking about who they murder. And the only, I'm sure they like prompt them to say stuff. Sure. Like that. Totally. I, I hope it's Trishel. And the reason that I hope it's Trishel is because I think that's better for Phaedra's game. Well, yeah. Trishel's the only one who's on to Phaedra in a big way. And, and has been brushed off with it. Almost not even heard or believed. Now yeah. I read on the internet somewhere that Janelle said, was it Janelle? I read on the internet somewhere that Peter had said that he thinks Phaedra's a traitor, but we didn't see, we haven't seen him say it. It was something that he said to somebody in the castle, but we hadn't seen him say it. It might've even been Sandra that, that said it like, Oh, you know, he knows. So at this point, for Phaedra's game, getting rid of Trishel makes the most sense because she's talking and no one's buying what she's selling. Mm-hmm. And she's not really serving a purpose for the traitors in any way. She's working against them. She's not in their alliance. Um, so I think, yeah, I think if you think about Kate and MJ, if they really start thinking about that alliance that Sandra laid out on the pool table, they're not going to get rid of Kate. They're not going to get rid of MJ. But they could very easily get rid of a Trishel or a Bergie mm-hmm. and have that kind of be a thing that weakens them, weakens their numbers, and strengthens their alliance. We shall see. We shall see. Man, yeah. I, I, I think that would be the smartest move. I think it's, at this point, they can't continue to be like well if i get rid of this person it's gonna be obvious because listen they know that poverty's a traitor so i understand this like i'm she's trying to turn it away from her and i respect that and honestly i think that kind of worked on sandra a little bit of like planting the seed that like peter's doing so much that he probably is a traitor and i think that's how sandra like Mm -hmm. ended up doing the pool table thing to begin with um but ultimately like i don't think that works for long i think everybody's pretty clear poverty's a traitor well only a few more days and by a few more i mean a whole week yeah six more (laughs) i'm excited to see where the the next episode goes and i loved this one had so much strategy in it thanks to sandra i love it she made it really really interesting just give give lots to think about it was interesting how we it felt like half an episode in that we only 
well, we didn't even have an elimination at all, exactly, did we? Exactly, exactly. So that was sort it of did, interesting. It kind of felt, it felt like it went by faster because of that. Yeah, I felt like it went by faster. Like, we weren't getting as much out of it. But, yeah, it was a lot of strategy. It was like the in-between stuff. Yeah. yeah. No round table. No, yeah. I liked that. seeing but, more of these, like, one-on-one off, you know, one-off conversations, though. So I thought that was really nice. It was a nice little change of pace. Yeah, we'll see where we go from here. Excited. Um... Yeah, is there anything else you're looking forward to checking out this week? Nope, honestly, just watching the Super Bowl and then probably rounding out some of this stuff that uh, we both started. And I don't know, if something else comes out, maybe I'll dip into that. On my World War II shit, so, you know, watching (laughs) Dunkirk, Saving Private Ryan. I just started Inglorious Bastards. I haven't seen that in many years. So, yeah, other than that. uh, Good uplifting stuff. Great content, real feel-good stuff. I've been trying to watch a lot of the Academy Award nominees, so we'll see if I can get a few more. I'm six out of ten on Ooh, Best Picture, okay. which is like it's okay, but the ones that are left over are a little harder to to find, <laughs> or have to put more effort in. Yeah, maybe we should do like a, a Academy Award segment, and you can talk through your your thoughts and opinions on who should win and if they're good or not. The thing about all these awards is that all of the best pictures are so different from each other. I think we've talked about this before. Like, it's art. I don't know how you can put art against art and say what's better than what. It's like, by what metric are we judging these? Like, what you think everyone else is going to vote for, basically. Right. Oh, I see. It's a popularity contest, I guess. Yeah. It's just so nuts. Because it's like Barbie compared to, I just saw American Fiction. I'm like, those are two entirely different, like, categories messages tones like visuals like all of it is so different i would like to know what the criteria is because if it's supposed to be like cultural i think they need to define what the criteria is for all of these you know if it's cultural impact or popularity or box office or whatever i even look at best actor i'm gonna hold this grudge for the rest of my life I look at Best Actor and that Brendan Fraser won that over Austin Butler. And I just like, it doesn't compute to me (laughs) because. We do know that this is an Austin Butler stand podcast. (laughs) This is an Austin Butler podcast. To be fair. No, I know what you mean though. It's so true because it's like, yeah, by what, is it like by degree of difficulty, by um, just transformation, Mm -hmm. by just overall career, by, but that's the thing is the Voting Academy they just vote with their own opinion. And there's so it's hundreds just their of opinions. people. It's just hundreds of people, too. I saw they just admitted, I think, like 37 more people into the well, the cat. It's like yeah. crazy. And it's a lot of people who are of a certain demographic as well, too. Yes. So it's not necessarily even representative of everybody watching these movies. Yes. I did see that in the, I think it was 37. There's there They are diversifying who is in the Academy, but we're also hundreds of people deep into that already. So um you know progress is is slow but progress is progress i guess exactly i just it's kind of fun having a list of movies that are um i guess noteworthy to just watch in the first place and then to go hmm did i enjoy this more than something that's a quote-unquote like popcorn movie i don't know not necessarily you know i'm i'm team barbie all the way and I don't think it's going to win all that much, but I think the cultural impact of it um, yeah, should, be should net it some, some awards. Uh, I do hope and I do think and hope that the um, score for Oppenheimer should win. I think it's the favorite to win. Um, when I walked out of that movie, I saw it in IMAX. I walked out of that movie and went, holy shit, the score all throughout. It Is it Hans was, Zimmer? I don't I don't know. I don't even know if I looked. 
Ludwig Göransson. Have you gotten to that movie yet or watched it? No, because it comes out on Peacock for free streaming on February 15th, and that's when I will watch it. So I don't know how much it'll stick out at home versus in an IMAX theater with Dolby Atmos the sound, but it was really the, the, the score is throughout. It's th- no, I mean, Christopher Nolan knows how to choose a, a good composer and score because it's the same with like Inception, the whole the bomb. That's yeah. what started that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that's probably the runaway favorite, and it's well deserved. But other than that, you know, with Greta not being in Best Director, I think that's a exact you know total flop and fail. Again, it's like what metric are we even nominating people by? Exactly, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. But you know, I get to just be a viewer and a of of a watcher and a person who talks about it. When are the Oscars on? Do we know? I think it's the first week of March, I think. Maybe. All right. Well, you know, we'll, about s- a month. we'll see what I'm doing that night and see if I decide to tune in. Oh, my gosh. It's a cultural event. I don't. I love it's it. always I the one that's, like, show. so dry and stuffy. I think they've loosened it up a little bit over the years, but it's always been pretty dry and stuffy. It's a little boring. You know what a pretty fun one was that was on Hulu is the Creative Arts Emmys. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. I didn't. They don't usually televise it, but it was on Hulu, and I watched it, and it was pretty fun because they have such wild award categories. Like one will be like best commercial, <laughs> stuff like that, and you're like, whoa, what? But I yeah. love that. I did watch a video on TikTok of Kieran Culkin outside the Creative Arts Award Show or whatever it's called, and it is so funny. I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. Love it. Love okay. Kieran content. Yeah. Well. Until next time. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Ha <laughs> ha.